Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Alessio Longo, and it is yet another episode of my podcast on Tai Chi and Qigong. Uh, I have a cold today, so my voice uh, would be a little bit nasal, apart from my bad English pronunciation. Anyway, what I want to talk about today is uh, the idea that exists a true method in uh, the... I do not even want to say in the Chinese... Uh, internal arts or in the Chinese martial arts, but let's say in the Asian cultivating arts. This is an idea that seems to me is even more widespread today than it was in ancient time in China, especially with the opportunity that is available today to discuss widely on this as other topics on the social media. It seems that many practitioners enjoy themselves being in the social media as much as they enjoy themselves being on the, the practice ground today. And, uh, and this would be another interesting episode to record what is uh, the, the internet giving as opportunities and also producing as uh, risks for the internal martial arts. Anyway, it seems that many people believe that there is a, a true method of self-cultivation. Of course, if you analyze the data that we have till today, there is no such true method. We do not have any information of a true cultivating method, and even the most sophisticated cultivating methods that uh, have been practiced with success in the past seems to be a very timid way of the human being to understand something that is very big and very complex. Furthermore, since we are talking about traditional arts, when we speak about the past, as a historian knows, it is always very difficult to understand what was going on tens, decades or centuries ago. So we have to be very humble on my point of view in evaluating uh, what is our knowledge of the ancient cultivating methods and we have to be also be very humble in judging other schools or teachers methods and we also have, have to be very humble about the knowledge that we may have about what is going on at the different levels of practice today and in the past. So first of all the internal arts, this is the realm I'm talking about, are a very wide field of practices. So, you can have a martial art as an internal art practice and you may have people doing martial art as an internal cultivating practice. Many people doing Tai Chi wasn't, uh, weren't even meditation practitioners. Some very good uh, young family members asked if Taoist meditation was something that may help the practitioner in Tai Chi they stated that they never practiced 
meditation in their life. Many people today think and states that meditation can be a good help for Tai Chi. It may be, you may that practice work for your internal art and for your Tai Chi. On the same time, other people very good in Tai Chi never did meditation in their practice life and their Tai Chi is good too. On the other side, we may have, for example, Qigong practices. Qigong is in some way in the middle way between meditation, very static practice, and Tai Chi as a martial art, very dynamic practice. And if we analyze how many Qigong methods we have, there, there, are, there are hundreds of practices. There have been probably hundreds of Qigong schools and methods in the past. Think at how big only China is, not to mention other Southeast Asia countries, not to mention the Indian tradition. Hundreds of millions of people have lived in these places, practicing and creating basically new methods. So there is something in the East, Eastern tradition that is even more puzzling for us as Westerner, since in the Eastern tradition and in the Chinese tradition, the past methods and the past masters were always being seen as very, as the basics of the knowledge. So the idea was the knowledge was alive and active in the past. We have to, un to go back to the time stream in order to get the knowledge. The old masters, they know. While after the, the Western, especially, especially during the Middle Age already, and uh, even more after the agricultural, industrial, and uh, so societal revolutions in the West, we believe that something more is uh, for us waiting in the future. So we now have two very different paths of thinking. And of course, when I say us, today I also encompass our uh, South uh, uh, East Asian uh, friends, like uh, the Chinese or the Japanese societies. All these people are even more than us interested in discovering what sciences and the future has to give to themselves, to their nations, and to the future of the humanity. But in the time these practices were flourishing in the, uh, in the East, the peg was always to the past. Now, of course, this is a misconception. It, it, it is fake. Like, to make you an example, at the beginning of the uh, revolutionary era in China, to propose uh, a reform for the state, people always told that they have found an ancient Confucian text which was stating principles that were actually their own modern ideas. But uh, there was this idea that uh, good ideas were only the ideas from the past. So in order to propose uh, a new system 
they told, oh, this is, this is not my idea. Actually, I found the secret test that states that these ideas are ancient Confucian ideas. Something like these always happen also in the development of the Chinese internal arts. And this is particularly puzzling, especially for Western people, because Chinese and Asian people know how their system works, and they know very well the difference between the form and the content. They know that the form has to be respected and has to be in a certain way, but they also know that the content can change and can be developed on another way. What I mean is, if you see at a traditional martial system or a traditional internal art system, people are always interested and brought to be interested in what was the original method. The original method was the right one. The ancient master, he knew everything. And the only thing that can happen to the original method is to get worse as time passed on. Now, there is, of course, a part of truth in this, as in the ancient times, ancient people had access to a level of information, to a level of dedication to these arts that we do not have today. So, of course, it is vital for us to understand what was their knowledge, and it is inspiring for us to try to understand today what was their knowledge and their practice. But in the same way, we also have to understand that the reality, as the Chinese very well knew, was that change was the rule of everything. So, if we see, for example, to make a practical uh, example of what I mean, if we see how the Yang style Taiji changed, we can certainly say that uh, Yang Luchan had one practice, especially based on his personal history, on his attitude, both energetical and physical, and on, on his time. On the other side, the practice of his two sons would be similar but slightly different, and when we go to the third generation, I'm sure that we find many differences, and always, and also why not, some development. And the same can be said on the on the fourth, on, on the fifth generation. For example, as I mentioned before, let's say that today a Taiji practitioner wants to limit his interest for the martial side and wants to insert in his daily practice also some meditation. Of course, if you practice 45 minutes of meditation every day, you cannot use those 45 minutes to try your kicks and punches. So you are making a choice. How can we judge this development? Can we judge this development as a progress, since the practice of Taiji as a martial art is uh, gaining something from new methods as uh, uh, meditation, or this is uh, uh, something to be considered as negative for the Taiji Chuan, because we are losing the originary martial side, and we are slowly replacing it with the cultivating side. Some people may say that this is a, a negative development for the Tai Chi history, but other people, as me, may see in this a development on the heart. 
Another side of uh, this misjudgment that we may have looking at the past is that every method, every new method, was born from an innovative process. So if we have Yan Lu Chan studying his art with in the Chen village, and then he created a new style, we can see that the act of experiencing, elaborating, and then creating was basics for the development of new models. And what happened very often was that a master studied with a good master and a good system, and then he moved on and studied with another good master, another good system, and upon his own personal experience, he would found another style, another way of practicing, because what is a style? A style is a way of practicing and a way of teaching. This is a style. So he found a new one. So the idea of studying multiple styles with multiple masters and to create, if you want, new styles, it was the basis of the Chinese production of new styles and new practices. So when you hear today something like uh, you do not have to mix different styles and different practices, this is nonsense. If you want to try new things, I mean, if, if you, according to your experience, let's say, for example, you are uh, a horse riding, <coughs> sorry, a horse riding practitioner and also a Tai Chi practitioner, and you want to create uh, a style, let's say, maybe a style is too much, but a way of training when you use uh, the knowledge that you have in riding and the knowledge that you have in Taiji or, or Qigong in order to create new way of training for your personal cultivation or for the development of your riding. Why not? Who's blocking you to do that? Of course, so the image of the reality is that the reality have always been a history of discovering the past and then in the in this very action that always fails because the past is gone we do not have enough information never to know for example what really the young style tai chi was doing in his school we will never know Nobody knows today, not even the member of this family, is an information that is lost. And whoever says that he knows or she knows is lying. So it's good that we go toward the past with the limited informations that we have to pay respect to the tradition, but the reality is also the development of new methods that is nourished also, unfortunately, by the many pieces that have been lost about the past tradition. To make this point even stronger, I want you to reflect on uh, the Western uh, civilization, for example, on the history of uh, Christianity. Now, Christianity is not only the message that we know or we think we know about uh, the uh, character of Jesus Christ, but Christianity is uh, the history of the development of how people through the centuries lived and looked at the message of Jesus Christ and on the part of his message that they found more interesting time by time for them. So, for example, it is 
only late in the history that uh, uh, priests were required not to, to marry in uh, the ancient Europe, and it is not before the first thousand of years after Christ that the Pope saw himself as the head of a unified church and thus unifying also the message that you have to go from Christianity and so on, many other things. So when we see, when we look at Christianity, we are looking at a 2000 year history actually under the false narrative that we are following the message, the original message, also for the reason that we don't know what the original message was in practice. We only have hints and some information that is second or third hand, as you know, if you, if you know the history of Christianity. So this is the same that is going on with the ancient uh, traditions. We, so we can open our heart to the core of the ancient traditions, but then we must also be open to our own times and to development of uh, this own art. So for example, the Taiji Chuan, that is an art that is born as such in the last 200 years, is not something that has been invented like 1000 years ago from some legendary uh, Taoist priest like Chan Sanfeng. This is not true, of course. He's the production of this century by century development, a refinement of the practices that were described under the traditional narrative of the East as the original method, but they were in the reality new transpositions of the original practices. So I think I have made clear enough this point in order to have people listening to the podcast open their mind and not be judgmental on the of these practices. If you go through your research in, in 10 years you will be laughing at the certainties that you think you have today. So as a rule of thumb Never judge other school, other masters, like uh, Yan style is better than Chen style, Chen style is better than Yan style, or Tai Chi is better than other Chinese martial arts, Tai Chi is more internal than other Chinese martial arts, somebody doing ta meditation is uh, uh, more spiritual than some other people doing only martial art, and if you do meditation, the real method is this one, and if you do <coughs> Sorry again, Qigong, the real method, it is other one again. All of these of these unfortunately is not true. Even the discussions upon the Chinese terms sometimes take this form. For example, we have the Chinese term sung that means basically to relax, that of course has also this meaning of relaxing, but in the same time can be developed to further levels in the, uh, the practice and uh, ancient texts and ancient schools use this term both in his uh, literary meaning which do mean relax and release and also when applied implying also other physical meanings that uh, you can get only when uh, practicing in the presence of uh, a knowledgeable master. So many people today say, oh, uh, the ancient Chinese term of song, relax, uh, it was not 
at the beginning meaning uh, relax but it meant etc 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 this is also nonsense and not true of course uh, the term song meant to relax at the beginning it also can mean other things of course uh, our modern i do not even want to say western because this is uh, now we all live in a modern society european americans chinese japanese indians no. Most of us live in our in a modern society, and all of uh, our nations uh, have uh, medieval uh, sites uh, that appear to scare other nations. But we never saw the medieval uh, sites uh, or our own societies. But beyond this, so the modern society has developed under the influence, especially of the French Revolution, of the French culture, uh, a sort of philology, a sort of study of the concept of the world that was not the idea that ancient Chinese civilizations used. So they weren't there so much to say the meaning of song is exactly this on this other one. This is exactly the reason why in the, the language in the classical Chinese is used in poems or in the, China, in the internal arts classics in a way that is not aiming toward closing the possibilities of the world, but is toward the way of opening the possibilities of the world. So in ancient Chinese would use any term, for example, song, in order to have one, two, three, four meanings in the same time at different level and also leaving open the door for you to find a fifth meaning for the word song. This is the basic and the beauty of the ancient Chinese literature, the poems, the classics of the past. This is why it is not possible to translate an ancient poem of, or a Taiji classic in a Western language, because the Western language, they tend to be, for their grammar, to, to be very precise. They want to be precise and to limit the meaning of a sentence. Why, in the ancient Chinese civilization, the meaning of the sentence have to be open, many of them should live in the same time and you should be able to feel another meaning from that same word or phrase or sentence or poem. So, when we say, for example, in a practice like Qigong or Zhangzhuang, you have to practice in this way, you have to practice in this other way, and if you practice in this way, you will never reach uh, the the final aim, and if you practice in this way, you will reach the real aim, this is the true path, this is not the true path, that is wrong, and so on. All of this is fake, it's only is delusional, and it only nourishes the illusion of the practitioner to belong to a restricted community that holds the true. We may have a very delusional life in modern life. It can happen, isn't it? So how beautiful it is to believe that other people are wrong, that you are right, and you may also be, of course, ears from having this truth living in your practice, but you belong to a group of people, to a school, to a lineage where the truth is present. It is already helping you to feel better, isn't it? But this is a delusional path. So, 
you have to know that your method is very often not better even if different of other methods that other people may have very clear ideas about what they are doing too you must also feel the differences between what other people do and judge it for example as i said many times in the past going toward the martial side may not well be the same thing than going toward the spiritual side on the same time somebody that is pursuing the spiritual side after 10 years may also not be a better person than the one that have pursued the martial arts of after 10 years and so on so the methods are many you can practice one of the to give you an idea one of the things when where this happened very often for example in meditation is about the position that you should have while meditating this is a very good example because it shows you the nonsense of the argument so in my opinion in order to meditate you should have the upper part of your body straight <coughs> sorry again so this is because when you meditate you use this position when you are not so active as you are when you stand so for me the definition standing meditation is not correct because where you stand on where you walk you are in a state of activation that is not the same as when you are sitting but in the same time is not so passive as when you are leaning on a bed when the upper part of your body is straight there is a link of pressures and structural elements that are working inside you where the head is up the earth is in the middle and the belly is down that makes it more efficient for meditation to work but beyond these how your spine should be how your head should be if your eyes have to be open or closed or half closed or half open and how your perineum should be and how your hips should be and so on all of these doesn't uh, affect the nature of your practice as such and we should not rule out any of the methods so if you want to make some meditation practice just sitting on a chair with your hands on your knees <coughs> of course you can do it okay there, there is many things in meditation that you can do just sitting on the other side when you choose a more physically demanding position as for example the half lotus position you are using the pressures in your body in another way that are making energy movements in your body happening at a higher level but as you are as you can see we should understand what we want from meditation which are the different types of meditation and if uh, really any type of this meditation is better than the other so for example it happens that you see somebody practicing uh, the lotus position meditation for a long time because he believes that that is the right and necessary position of meditation mainly if you think so it is because one he had been misguided during the teachings because it is not 
a leading or a needed position for any practice of meditation and uh, in the same time you have also to understand that these practices were born when people used to sit on the floor only from the 19th century also in Europe people started to sit on chairs even that in Europe the only people sitting on chairs were kings popes and the like all other people used to sit on the floor of course in their house so everybody had their hips structure and the, so the resting sitting position was sitting on the floor do we live in a society where the sitting resting position is in the floor have we trained our body from the uh, beginning of our life in this way no probably none of none of us have done that the mass ma the vast majority of the modern people have been sitting on chairs since 20 years old and then maybe at 20 years old as happened to me you start to think that maybe you can sitting on the floor mainly because you see images of people of the west sitting on the floor but that is not a comfortable position for you those people in the past they used to eat sitting and they used to rest after eating sitting as you sit today in a sofa they used to sit in on the floor so after somebody practices the lotus position for a long time trying to reach uh, I don't know what and many of them they do not even know what to be honest they found that their hips or their knees have uh, had injuries of course you would not imagine how many people that have been practicing yoga for many years are founding themselves with uh, hips damages in their 60s or 70s because now these people are getting old if you think we, now we are going to have a, a, a quite significant amount of uh, data about people in the west that have been practicing yoga for a while and now they are getting 60s and 70s and there are studies that show how their hips are affected by the practice just just to make you an example of how the idea of the true correct method not personalized can negatively affect your practice so i do not want to go any further i just want people listening to this podcast to practice with an open mind don't to clinch to the delusional vision of having access to a true method believe me you will never find the true method you will never find the master of the true method all the masters and i've met many of them and i have news about many of them all of the big masters that are living today they are personal experience living they are people that some of them never had a family some of them never had a conventional job some of them have traveled and lived in asia especially at the beginning for many years and it is their life experience that is making them masters not a real method so you can have a very good master this master can or cannot have a good teaching method some of them have some of them have not and then the students very often do not reach even half of the level of the master because the living experience of the student is not matching the living experience of the master and all this point also don't be deluded because maybe in your life there is something that has never been present 
in the life of your master. Maybe you have life experiences like, uh, like a family or like uh, uh, an interesting job, career that your master never had. So, once again, I hereby state with uh, all the security of somebody that have studied and seen uh, uh, many things, spoke with many people and that have gathered a lot of information about these practices that there is no self-method, there is no correct position, there is no correct path. All of this was very clear also to the ancient Chinese practitioner. I leave you with the first words of the ancient Chinese text called Tao Te Ching, the classic of the Wei and of his power. And the first sentence of this classic is which means the real way, the way that is getting you to the end is a way without rule. No one. There is no rule that can really define the real way. This is the first sentence, which means basically there is no true method, at least under the circumstances that I have described since now. Thank you for listening and uh, see you for the next episode.